My name is Vicki and this is Murder Sandwich, a true crime and mystery podcast. Today's topic is going to be discussing about Christopher Dunch. And if you don't know him by that name, then you probably know him as Dr. Death. I do hope that everyone enjoyed the Halloween series that I did after doing three episodes in a short span of time. I did take a little bit of a break there. Um, so I thank everyone for your patience and we are definitely back for some regular programming. Today's episode, I am actually a little excited to share the story despite its dark nature because on my break, I actually binged the show Dr. Death that came out this summer and it was starring Christian Slater, Alec Baldwin, and Joshua Jackson. And I quickly learned that it was based on a true story and was even more shocked to learn how much of the story that I was actually seeing was true because it is just the most wild story and it's actually so long. Like I have so much research I'm about to tell you and go through so many things and I could have easily kept going. I easily <laughs> So I do want to give a shout out. There is a podcast out there and it is called Dr. Death. And I think it's like a 10 part episode series. So if you really want like the deep dive onto this topic, then I welcome you to watch that. And that's actually where the basis of the show was actually off of. So like, yes, it's based off the true story, but the timeline of events and all of that was you know, really helped out from that podcast I did learn. So yeah, if you want some more information, definitely go check them out. Let's give them a little bit of a plug. Yeah. So with that, let's grab a turkey and gravy sandwich and let's mow down on some true crime. So Christopher Daniel Dunch is his full name, Dr. Death here, and he was born on April 3rd, 1971, which makes him an Aries. And he was born in Montana, but spent most of his youth in Memphis, Tennessee. Christopher's father, his name was Donald, and he was a physical therapist and a Christian missionary. And then Christopher's mom, Susan, was a school teacher. So Christopher graduated from the Evangelical Christian School in Cordova, and that's a suburb of Memphis, and he mainly played football there. Christopher initially wanted to attend Millsaps College to play Division Three college football, and then later he did transfer to Division One Colorado State University. Now, the reason why he was really into football at this time is his father, Donald, actually played football in Montana, and Christopher was just determined to follow in his footsteps. Despite him practicing relentlessly, um, later his teammates did say that he just lacked any talent in football and that it didn't matter how much he practiced or how many runs he did, he just sucked. And he relentlessly sucked. So he would make the team apparently run drills over and over and over again until he would get it. But he would just like never get it, like ever get it. So, <laughs> so that was a little bit presented in the show, which was kind of interesting. Now, the show did talk about how he had siblings, but I didn't really find anything about the fact that he had siblings. So 
if he did in real life, they're not talked about very often. One of Christopher's childhood friends was a guy named Jerry Summers. He's going to come up a little bit in today's story. So when he was, you know, away at all these other schools and not in Memphis, he kind of lost contact with Jerry a little bit. But when he came back, they really reconnected and started hanging out together all the time. Jerry was really pivotal in a lot of what Christopher is going to do that we're going to talk about. So Jerry did end up getting a neck injury at playing football. So this is kind of sprinkled in the show a little bit to add a little bit of dramatic effect. So Christopher did end up ditching his football scholarship and he wanted to switch his career to medicine. Quite a difference. (laughs) He completed his undergraduate degree in 1995 and then he continued on to a very ambitious MD PhD which is a doctorate of medicine and of philosophy. And this is considered the most advanced credential in the United States and is a a dual doctoral degree. It's a a huge deal and hard. Like it's not, (laughs) it's not an easy program at all. So as part of this program, he did work in a research lab and this is where he was studying the origins of brain cancer and the various uses of stem cells. And you know, for a time after he earned his dual degrees in 2001 and 2002, it seemed he actually was going to make a career out of this in biotechnology rather than actually like treating patients. And this is something that he focused on for like for quite a while. At the same time as his residency, his surgical residency, he actually teamed up with two Russian scientists and They were recruited by the University of Tennessee to explore the commercial potential of stem cells to revitalize back pain in like alien backs. They actually, the Russian, the two Russian people, they patented technology that they created. So they came over here, they patented it with Dunch, and they wanted to obtain and grow disc stem cells so that they could, you know, potentially grow new discs and replace them with damaged discs. So in 2008, they launched a company called Discgenics, and they wanted to develop and then sell these products. And two of Dunch's supervisors from the university were actually among the first investors. So to them, this is just great money in their pocket. Like they were like, great, this up and coming great neurosurgeon doctor guy is, you know, coming up with all these great ideas. This actually comes and does something. It can make the university and these doctors a ton of money and make Dunch really reputable in the medical industry. So this was like a pretty thriving part of Dunch's career. But later in 2014, he actually did have a few of his friends and peers describe that he was just doing drugs every single night, and booze, cocaine, pills. And then at dawn, after partying all day, Dunch would just slip on a white coat and head for rounds at the hospital. Like, no worries. No paranoia, utmost confidence that he was, you know, doing his job properly. So eventually, Dunch was forced out of dysgenics, and his partners and investors did sue him over money and the stock in the company. So eventually, he never made any money off of it and was removed entirely from that company. So as mentioned, in 2002 to 2004, he did end up completing his MD and PhD and his neurosurgery residency programs at the University of Tennessee Health Science Center. And he also completed a spine fellowship program at the Sims Murphy Clinic in Memphis. 
So Christopher actually went on to complete his residency, having participated in less than a hundred surgeries. And typically neurosurgery residents participate in over a thousand, at least in the course of their entire residency. So like he hadn't even done like 10%. Crazy. I just, I don't understand how that fell through the cracks. Like we really get into it here, like I said, and that's just the first of very many fails that this system provided to Christopher's future patients. So this is obviously around the time that he's first suspected of being under the influence of cocaine and pills and LSD and like while operating in his fourth year of residency training, he was actually sent to an impaired physician's program before being allowed to return to the residency. So he was asked to take a drug test and he avoided it for a few days and that was why he was sent to the program because if you avoid a drug test for a few days and aren't like... I'm taking it right now. Pretty sure that's a little suspicious. And it's clear that you're waiting for something to fall off of your system. Fall off of your system? Come off your system? Get out of your system? One of those I'm sure will work. So this is around the time, like, I'm not really going to mention his personal life a whole bunch because honestly, his personal life is a total mess. It totally matches his career, uh, for sure. So I'm not really going to mention a whole bunch about it, but this is around the time where he did start a relationship with Wendy Renee Young, and they do end up having two sons together. I'm not really going to get into a lot of their drama. I'm sure that's covered in the really in-depth podcast. I'm sure it's dramatized in the show, but it is talked about pretty decently in the show as well. But by the time Christopher met Wendy, he was already half a million dollars in debt. And, you know, the research program, the residency, the schooling, all of those things, he's massively in debt. And this is when he actually completely decided to turn to neurosurgery instead of research, because it's obviously a very lucrative field and would very much help his debt issues. So he just took a turn. I think this is around the time where like he he hadn't really maybe done that for a little while or for a few years and that's why he really wasn't interested in dipping his toes into that like i think he wanted the the title more than actually doing it and i think this is the point where he's maybe torn in two different areas because we really get into his lack of surgical talent later on as i'm sure everyone's guessed with the name dr death i don't think i'm you know spoiling the podcast here but I think this is really the start of the issues because really like he had done research this whole time and I think he realized that that wasn't going to make him enough money or at least not enough money right away. He got, he got kicked out of his first like real shot. And so I, I think this is where he really takes a turn and decides that, you know, he'll just figure it out as he goes maybe, which trust me, it does not work in his favor. So in 2010, this is when Wendy and Christopher moved to Dallas, Texas, and Jerry Summers, who I mentioned earlier, his best friend since high school, also came with them. And he was helping him a lot with his career and really wanted to get his name out there as like the new up-and-coming awesome neurosurgeon, which I think just really solidifies like my thoughts of him wanting to want the title more than the talent. 
maybe a little bit of an ego there and he thinks the talent is actually there. We'll probably dive into that much further. So Christopher starts applying for work, and on paper, you know, he looks beyond qualified. He spent a total of 15 years in training with medical school and residency and his fellowship, and his CV is 12 pages single space. So, like, he has credentials. Christopher also claimed to have graduated from magna cum laude, which means with great praise. It's essentially an academic achievement when you finish top of your class essentially. But not every single school has a magna cum laude program. It, it's just not automatically there. So he said that he obtained it from St. Jude's Children's Research Hospital with a doctorate in microbiology. But this was a program that the hospital didn't even offer at the time that he attended. You think you would, you know, Google that, right? Would you? Well, you know, maybe Google wasn't very popular back then. But a little weird. So eventually, Christopher does end up getting a job, and he joins the Baylor Regional Medical Center at Plano, which is now Baylor Scott and White Medical Center Plano. Plano? I'm pretty sure it's Plano. So he starts working there in the summer of 2011, and they hired him as a minimally invasive spine surgeon with a salary of $600,000 a year, plus bonuses. Now, this 600K, they gave it to him as an advance when he got hired. So he's like, great, half a million in debt. I just got 600 grand. Perfect. He's like, beam me up, Scotty. I'm set. Baylor Plano is said to have quoted that that we were told Dunch was one of the best and smartest neurosurgeons they have ever trained as they went on at length about his strengths. They are quoted as to being said that. But at some point around this time at the start of his career, this is when Jerry was like really helping him out with getting his name out there. And Baylor Plano was just stoked to have this like great neurosurgeon. Like there was a sign on the highway with his name on it and he had a website and Jerry was helping him with like a little internet video series where he was like talking about medical advice and, you know, having mask on and talking to people in operating rooms. And he was just like really trying to get his name out there. And, you know, Jerry was really making sure that he was on like best doctors websites. There was people reviewing about him. So, you know, who knows what is true and what's not, but they were really, really working hard on doing this. But immediately when he starts at Baylor Plano, he just made a really poor impression on his fellow surgeons. And one in particular who we're really going to get into is a veteran vascular surgeon, and his name is Randall Kirby. Randall Kirby is played by Christian Slater in the show, does a really, really, really good job, really enjoyed his character. But in real life, <laughs> he recalled that Christopher boasted about his abilities, even though he was just completely brand new to the industry. Coming straight out of school, like your first job, like great, you did 15 years of training, but like you're a surgeon, like you have to prove your talent in real life, not just on paper, right? So Kirby also recalled that his skills in the operating room left much to be desired and even is quoting as saying he could not even wield a scalpel, like savage. It's probably like the worst insult you can give a surgeon, <laughs> Right. We are going to dive into the patients. Now, these stories are really sad. And so I'm going to give a little bit of a disclaimer that like these stories are real and this happened to real people. And it's very, some of them are very shocking. So honestly, like it was 
it, it's pretty crazy. So his first patient that we're going to go into is Kenneth Fennell. And he was the very, very first one at Baylor Plano. So he was actually left with chronic pain after Dunch operated on the wrong part of his back. Due to the debilitating pain, Fennel later actually had a second operation by Dunch to relieve it and was left significantly paralyzed in his legs. And he required months and months and months of rehabilitation to be able to walk with a cane and is unable to walk for more than 30 feet or stand for a few minutes due to the pain and will have to sit down. Lee Passmore is the next patient that he had at Baylor Plano, and he's actually a Collin County medical investigator, and he experienced chronic pain and limited mobility after Dunch operated on him because he cut a ligament, which was not normally touched during this particular procedure, and he also misplaced hardware into Passmore's spine, and he placed a screw, which kept the hardware in place, and a completely incorrect location in his spine, and he also stripped the threads so that it couldn't even be removed. And even if he hadn't stripped the threads, he placed the screws in such a wrong location that it would have caused Passmore to bleed out if it was removed. So they brought a vascular surgeon in named Mark Hoyle, who assisted the operation, and he later recalled that Dunch seemed completely oblivious to the considerable bleeding that was occurring during this operation. And Hoyle became so disturbed by Dunch's actions that at one point he physically restrained him during the surgery. He later told him to his face that he was dangerous, and Hoyle seriously wondered about Dunch's sanity. The third patient we're going to talk about is Barry Morguloff. He was actually the owner of a pool service company, and he had just worn out his back due to the work that he was doing. A pain specialist actually gave him Dunch's card because he had already had a surgery before that hadn't worked. After his surgery that he had with Dunch, which is in January of 2012, Morguloff was left with bone fragments in his spinal canal after Dunch tried to pull the damaged disc out of his back with a grabbing tool. Dunch initially refused to give Morguloff any pain medicine, claiming that he was a drug seeker. Morguloff eventually lost most of the function on his left side and required a wheelchair. Kirby was actually assisted with this surgery, and he recalled Dunch continuing to make mistakes even after having the correct anatomy pointed out to him. Morguloff later recalled that he walked out on a follow-up visit with Dunch as he actually appeared to be inebriated. I just, yeah, I literally can't imagine in the show, and I really hate to be bringing it up because I know that it's dramatized, but in the show, they obviously are asking him questions about the outcomes of these surgeries, and he's really just passing it off. And it seems like that's quite accurate from what I was reading in research as well, is that he was like, or the anesthesiologist, can't say that word very well, you know, gave them too much medicine, or like this was happening, or, you know, they had this kind of infection. And he was just like really playing the cards. He was actually a really charismatic guy and people really liked him. Like, I know I just finished repeating that his peers didn't like him. He has an ego complex, but 
Like he had friends and, you know, family and they all seemed to really like him. He was really good with his patients. He made them feel welcomed. Obviously not good with them in a surgical standpoint, but like, I mean, bedside manner when he was meeting them, he really was putting on a show. He's like, I am the best. I'm going to take care of you. I can fix you. Oh, other people told you you can't be fixed. Well, I can fix you because I'm the best. That's what he came across of. So I think his bosses at Baylor Plano were really like, really like stuck in a position because they, they made a lot of money off of him. So I think they were just trying to really get him to work out because they didn't want to lose out on that money. But let's continue. So Jerry Summers, yes, that Jerry Summers, his, his best friend. Yeah, this is a really sad one. Jerry was really helping Dunch out still. Like he helped him with his research projects that he had. He even helped him with logistics at his research lab during his residency. You know, they lived in a downtown luxury high rise while Dunch was shopping for a house. So Jerry comes in to have two neck vertebrae fused together, but instead Dunch damaged Summer's entire vertebral artery and he caused it to bleed almost uncontrollably. To stop the bleeding, Dunch packed that space with so much anticoagulant, which is supposed to make you stop bleeding, that it actually squeezed Summer's spine. And when Summers woke up, he was quadriplegic and he could not move anything from the neck down. The anesthesiologist who worked on the surgery recalled that Summers actually lost almost 1,200 milliliters of blood, which is actually more than a fifth of his entire blood volume and is almost 24 times the amount of blood lost in a spinal fusion. The nurses and other staffers who took part in the surgery fully expected for Summers to have a revision surgery, but Dunch actually refused to do it. Summers, like, he was pissed because Dunch, like, essentially, like, ignored him after the surgery. Like, he woke up and Dunch wouldn't even come visit him. He didn't come and check up and see what he was doing. And that was, like, what seems to be pretty typical up to this point. Like I said, he's putting on a show for his clients because he just wants to make money off of them. He gives no shits about them after they get operated on and he maims them for life. Summers is pissed. It's his best friend. And he does later state that Dunch had used cocaine the night before his surgery. But despite passing this drug test, Baylor Plano officials were concerned enough to force Dunch on a leave pending peer review. So Dunch was still cleared to resume operating while the review was underway, which like doesn't that defeat the purpose? You know, like what? But he was just asked to limit himself to minor surgeries until it was complete. Later, Summers did admit that the cocaine claim wasn't true and that he was just upset. Unfortunately, though, Jerry Summers did die this year in 2021 from an infection from complications from the operation, which is really sad. It's really, really, really sad.
Kelly Martin was Dunch's neck surgery, which was a back operation, as she had actually compressed a nerve from falling off a ladder as she was fetching Christmas decorations from her attic. So Dunch severed a very major artery and continued operating despite clear signs that Martin was losing massive amounts of blood. He refused to abort the surgery even after a trauma surgeon colleague came in and an anesthesiologist and warned him all about the blood loss. He refused to acknowledge that anything was wrong. He treated it like a totally normal surgery and it completely hindered the ICU team's efforts to save her. So when Martin awoke from the anesthesia, she was screaming and clawing at her legs, forcing the ICU team to re, to re-anesthese her. And so Dunch just stayed out of the ICU room. He didn't even look at her. He just literally wrote notes rather than attending to his patients. And she coded and she died. She bled to death from the inside because of him. So finally, Baylor Plano's like, oh, wow, maybe we should, like, fucking do something about this. Like, people are dying. Oops. So they order another drug test, but the first screening actually came back diluted with tap water. Mm, hello? And then the second one that was taken a few days later came up clean. <laughs> I literally... I can't. Baylor Plano's officials finally find that Dunch is failing to meet their standards of care, and they permanently revoke his surgical privileges. And they did initiate another peer review, but he he resigned because he would rather face that than termination. To avoid the cost of fighting and possibly losing a wrongful termination suit, the hospital officials actually reached a deal with Dunch's lawyers in which he was allowed to resign in return for Baylor Plano to issue a letter, like a letter of reference, stating that there was no issues with him. So Dunch resigned on April 20th, 2012, saying that, and I quote, All areas of concern with regard to Christopher D. Dunch have been closed. As of this date, there have been no summary of administrative restrictions or suspension of Dunch's medical staff membership or clinical privileges during the time he has practiced at Baylor Regional Medical Center at Quano. Had he been fired, they would have had to re- report him to the National Practitioner Data Bank, or NPDB, which is literally intended to flag problematic physicians. Now, this isn't public knowledge, but it's for hospital administration and hospital officials to know who are the bad doctors. And he wasn't put there because of this deal. Can you honestly believe that? I just told you about his five patients there. And those, those were the patients that he had. There wasn't like a successful one. Those, that's what happened to him there. Unbelievable. And it's about to get even worse. So after Baylor, Dunch moved to the Dallas Medical Center. Now, like, Dallas is huge, right? For people that maybe not be familiar, I've never been there, but like, Dallas is huge. So they have multiple hospitals. Where I'm from, we have one hospital. (laughs) The hospital in my city is like the most main one, like, in a very wide area. So having all these different hospitals in one city is like, so crazy to me. And I don't even live in the most ridiculously small town. There's towns all surrounding around me that don't even have a hospital and they have to come here. (laughs) So anyway, 
So he moved over to Dallas Medical Center, another hospital in the area, and he was actually granted temporary privileges until hospital officials could obtain his records from Baylor Plano. Red flags instantly surfaced, obviously, because nurses were wondering if he was under the influence of drugs while on duty. And one of the biggest examples is he came into work the entire week with the same tattered scrubs. Which, like, you're obviously supposed to change those in between surgeries. That's a huge health concern. So, gross and, you know, disgusting. (laughs) So, he did last less than a week before administration pulled his privileges because he, there was a death of a patient named Floella Brown. And she was operated on July 24th, 2012. And shortly after, he maimed another patient named Mary Efford. Dunge severed Brown's vertebral artery and refused to abort despite the massive blood loss. And he even admitted 30 minutes into her surgery that he was having trouble seeing her spine. He then packed it with way too much of that substance intended to stop the bleeding, the anticoagulant. And so she actually suffered a stroke as a result of using too much of that. They're like calling Dunge, right? Like this surgery happens and she's like, you know, like obviously not doing well, like something went wrong and they're like calling, calling, calling. He's not answering for a few hours. And then he just shows up the next day and he has this elective surgery with Mary Efford, right? And, and they're telling him about Brown. He's like, well, I'm going to go do the surgery on Efford. Like just go do whatever with Brown. So hospital officials were like absolutely exasperated because Dunch refused to delay Efford's surgery, asking him multiple times to either care for Brown or transfer her out of his care, and he would do neither. In the middle of his surgery with Efford, he's like suggesting to drill a hole into Brown's head to relieve the pressure, but like he's ref- he refused permission entirely. And not only is he absolutely not qualified to be drilling into someone's head, but he would have no help to perform this brain surgery because Dallas Medical didn't even have the proper equipment or personnel for such an operation. Like, they did not have that ability there. There's probably only, like, one hospital, maybe two in the Dallas area that have that kind of material and those kind of people. Not there. So Brown ended up being left in a coma for hours before Dunge finally transferred her out of his care. But by this time, Brown was brain dead and had to get put on life support. It was later determined that Dunge had both pierced and blocked her veritable artery with a misplaced screw. And also that Dunge had misdiagnosed the source of her pain altogether and was operating in the wrong place. Can you honestly believe that? So while operating on a FERD, Dunch severed one of her nerve roots during a spinal fusion surgery while operating on the wrong portion of her back, too. He twisted a screw into another nerve, left screw holes on the opposite side of her spine, failed to remove the disc he was supposed to remove, and then left surgical hardware in her muscle tissue that was so loose that it moved when it was touched. Despite several warnings from his colleagues that he was doing that surgery incorrectly and was attempting to put screws into muscle rather than bone, he he persisted. 
and Efford was left paralyzed. She later recalled waking up feeling that she was in excruciating pain and was a 10 plus on a scale of 1 to 10. And several people ended up later reporting that they thought Dunch was drunk during the surgery on Efford. Which, like, you're a doctor and you can't tell the difference between muscle and bone. Like, you're joking. You're joking. So thankfully, longtime spine surgeon Robert Henderson, he was able to perform the salvage surgery on Efford. And when Henderson saw the imaging from the surgery, he was certain, like totally convinced that there had to be legal action. And so he had the entire salvage surgery recorded. And he described what he found when he opened Efford up to the results of a child playing Tinker Toys. Henderson described Dunch's surgery as an assault and concluded that Efford would have been bedridden had the salve surgery not had been performed at that time. Now, Henderson in the show is actually played by Alec Baldwin, so he is quite, uh, like, popular, like, he's one of the main characters, and Joshua Jackson is the one that plays Christopher Dunge. This, in real life, this is not, I'm not talking about the show anymore, um, <laughs> Henderson actually did wonder if Dunch was a total imposter. He was thinking, oh, maybe, like, someone stole his identity and this person's not even a surgeon. Which, at this point, you would totally think that's what is happening. Like, when I was watching the show, I was like, he's just not this guy. That's what this is going to be about. Like, someone, he killed him and took his identity. It's not, that's not it. Because it came back. He's a real surgeon. And he just botched Effer's surgery, like, that bad. And Henderson felt that anyone with basic knowledge of human anatomy would know if they were operating in the wrong place. Henderson did end up sending a photo to University of Tennessee to actually determine whether he had an actual degree from that institution and that was what he looked like and all of these things. And he received confirmation like that was that was him. Henderson even called Dunch's fellowship supervisor in Memphis as well as his residency. And it was then that he learned about the incident that led him to be referred to the impaired physician program. Despite both of the surgeries being catastrophic failures, Dallas Medical Center still did not report him to the National Practitioners Data Bank. And at the hospital, at well, at all the hospitals at this time, they were not required to report doctors who only had temporary privileges. After Dallas Medical Center, Dunch was finally reported to the state medical board, but not by the actual Dallas Medical Center. It was first from a person named Shulkin, and he was actually a Dallas physician who served on the board, and he actually was just told about the surgeries on Efford and Brown. Shortly after, Kirby wrote a very detailed complaint to the Texas Medical Board, calling Dunch a sociopath who was a clear and present danger to the citizens of Texas. Henderson also made it his personal mission to stop Dunch from operating. He called the University of Tennessee to specifically ask about Dunch's training, and they didn't end up hearing anything for a few months after, and they just thought that this was all resolved. Like, they made all these phone calls, you know, planted all these seeds, and they thought, Henderson and Kirby and Sulkin thought that, you know, maybe this has been resolved. You know, I don't think that they were really, not that they weren't like looking into it, but I think that they were really putting their trust into the system. In December of 2012, 
Kirby was then asked to help a patient named Jacqueline Troy, and she was suffering from a very severe infection. And Troy was being transferred to a Dallas hospital from a surgery center in the suburb of Frisco. She had actually had neck surgery, but the surgeon had cut her vocal cords and one of her arteries. And when Kirby learned the details, he asked her, is the guy who worked on you named Christopher Dunch? And she said it was. December 2012, Dunch actually received privileges at the Southampton Community Hospital in Dallas, and he also took a job at an outpatient clinic named the Legacy Surgery Center, which is now called the Frisco Ambulatory Surgery Center in Frisco, which is just outside of Dallas. While he was there, he actually damaged patient Jeff Cheney's spinal cord, leaving him without feeling on the right side of his body. His next patient was Philip Mayfield, and he damaged his spinal cord, drilling into it and leaving him partially paralyzed from the neck down. After physical rehabilitation, Mayfield was able to walk with a cane, but he continued to experience paralysis on the right side of his body and then his left arm, and he also reported shooting pains throughout his body at just random times throughout the day. And unfortunately, Mayfield did die of COVID in February of 2020. And according to his wife, he had been vulnerable to the virus due to the complications caused by all of Dunch's botched surgeries. And that's just really sad and just awful. Marshall Meese is his next patient, and he needed some degenerated discs removed out of his back. But Dunch left surgical hardware floating between the spine and the muscle tissue. Muse ended up waking up in considerable pain, clearly, but Dunch convinced him it was totally normal, and he prescribed Muse so much Percocet that the pharmacist actually refused to fill the prescription. Unfortunately, Muse did spiral into an opiate addiction that costed him his wife and his job, and he later recalled that he read about Kelly Martin's death on the day before the surgery, and when he asked Dunch about it, he just totally cursed him out and hung up on him. So, you know, I think this is when the word is really starting to get out that, you know, Dunch has problems and maybe what's in front of you isn't actually real. And that's just, you know, a mask and a show. So this is where we come to Jacqueline Roy. And he did cut one of her vocal cords and an artery and he really damaged her trachea. So this did leave Troy very like unable to speak. It was just above a whisper and she had to be sedated for weeks and had to be fed through a feeding tube for some time as, you know, food was getting into her lungs. So Kirby did try to help her, but she, there was a lot of things wrong with her that he wasn't able to help. So um, her, her vocal cords was part of that, unfortunately. So Despite all these mishaps, Dunch was still retained by Southampton when new owners bought it and renamed it University General Hospital. So shortly after, in May 2013, this is when Kirby found out that the University General Hospital was throwing Dunch like a welcome dinner for like their new, brand new neurosurgeon. And Kirby like sent them just like the most awful letter and just made tons of phone calls and just was like, what? the shit are you doing like what the fuck so 
I'm not even going to give a university general hospital like a ton of like, oh, poor them, because apparently they had a very troubled history. They ended up having two bankruptcies and their former CEO was actually sentenced to prison for healthcare fraud. And the hospital is like closed now, which is like not that long ago. So don't think they're very reputable. So Dunge also applied for privileges at other hospitals in Dallas. He just wanted like to get privileges everywhere to just abuse the system. So his next privileges were at Methodist Hospital. And the hospital actually queried the National Practitioners Data Bank. And soon after this is going on and they're querying this, you know, data bank, Dunge gets a patient named Jeff Gladwell. Now this is in 2013. And Glidewell had actually located Dunch on websites such as like health grades. And he actually had a rating of four out of five. And he had a Facebook page. And this is where all his patients, I'm going to say this loosely, patients, praising after him. Like I said before, Jerry Summers was helping him with this. At this time, Jerry was not helping him with this anymore. Dunch had ditched Jerry Summers. You know, he was a quadriplegic. And Dunch like basically never spoke to him ever again. So, at this time, I don't know who these patients are. I don't know if they're recent or if they're bought by Jerry Summers maybe the year prior. Regardless, that's how he found them. So during the surgery on Glidewell, Dunch mistook part of his neck muscle for a tumor. A tumor. He cut out part of his neck muscle and went, this is a tumor. I'm not working on him during this routine fusion severed one of his vocal cords, cut a hole in his esophagus, and sliced an artery. And just to top it off, Dunch also stuffed a surgical sponge in Glidewell's throat to staunch the bleeding. However, he closed Glidewell up with the sponge still inside his body and other people in the operating room told him it was still there and he was like, whatever. I don't care. Closed him up. So the sponge obviously triggered a severe bloodborne infection that caused Glidewell to become septic. So when other doctors discovered the sponge, Dunch refused to return to help remove it, which I don't know how you can discover it. It's there. Like people were like, yo, it's still there. Anyway. So after several days, they brought in Kirby who was brought in to repair the damage, and later he described what he found after opening Glidewell's backup was the work of a crazed maniac. He later told Glidewell that it was clear that Dunch had tried to kill him. Glidewell ended up being left with only one vocal cord, permanent damage to his esophagus, and partial paralysis on his left side. Kirby did claim later that it looked as though Dunch had actually tried to decapitate Glidewell, and totally contended that such a botched surgery, and I quote, has not happened in the United States of America before. Glidewell was reported still suffering from ill effects of Dunch's operating years later, and he's undergone more than 50 procedures to correct the damage. At one point, he was only able to eat like the most ridiculously small amounts of food at one time. So this proved to be Dunch's last surgery, and the university obviously pushed him out soon afterward. I don't even want to say obviously. The university thankfully pushed him out soon afterwards. And by this time, 
that he operated on Glidewell, the state medical board had been investigating him for like about 10 months. How ridiculous. 10 months. And he's doing all this damage and they won't just like fix it. Like 10 months? 10 months. So under heavy, heavy, heavy lobbying from Kirby and Henderson, the Texas Medical Board suspended Dunch's license finally on June 26, 2013. The lead investigator on the case later revealed that she wanted Dunch's license suspended while the 10-month probe was underway, but the board attorneys were not willing to go along. So that's why he was still able to operate for the 10 months. The board chairman, his name is Erwin Zedzler, later said that complications in neurosurgery were more common than many laymen believe, and that it took until June 2013 to find the pattern of patient injury. Many board members actually found it hard to believe that a trained surgeon could be as incompetent as Dunch appeared. Now again, Dunch was going around all over the place that he was great, everyone else is wrong, he's the best, no one else knows how to do their job, everyone's just out to get him because they're jealous of him. God, smell the narcissism, are we right? So Dunch's patients were obviously trying to sue him for malpractice, but many found it just completely impossible at this time to find an attorney who would even take them because Texas enacted a tort reform in 2003, so about like 10 years prior, and this massively reduced the amount of damages that plaintiffs could win. So it just wasn't worth it to the attorneys. So the number of malpractice payouts per year was dropped by like more than half the amount. They just weren't really winning there. The Texas Medical Board did finally permanently revoke Dunch's license on December 6, 2013. So this is what, six months later after it's temporary. At this time, he has moved to Denver, Colorado and in a total downward spiral. Like, He's declared bankruptcy. He's listed his debts over a million. Him and Wendy are like totally done. After his DUI gets in Denver, he's actually taken for a psych evaluation in Dallas. This is during one of his visits to see his children. And then he later gets arrested for shoplifting in Denver and stole like, I think like $890 worth of just like random stuff from like a, like a Target or like a Walmart or something. Like, what are you doing? (laughs) So a few months later, this is March 2014, so we're like, what, three months into him being permanently revoked license? And this is when his three former patients, so this is Mary Elford, Kenneth Fennell, and Lee Passmore, they all filed separate federal lawsuits against Baylor Plano, and they alleged that the hospital allowed Dunch to perform the surgeries despite knowing that he was a dangerous physician. So the Texas Attorney General Greg Abbott they actually filed a motion to intervene in the suits to defend Baylor Plano, citing that the Texas Legislature's 2003 statute that I mentioned before placed a medical malpractice cap of $250,000 and that actually removed the term gross negligence from the definition of legal malice. The suit alleged that Baylor Plano made an average net profit of $65,000 on every spinal surgery performed by Dunch. So no wonder they were keeping him around. They were making money off of him. Like, that's crazy. So at this time, Henderson and Kirby are, they're scared. They're, they're, they're really fearful that Dunch is going to be able to move elsewhere and still like theoretically get a medical license, like out of country, different states. You know, they're really urging the Dallas County's district attorney's office to pursue a criminal charge. But 
you know, they've never done that before. Like the, like the criminal investigators, they're really relying on the medical professionals, right? But the medical professionals, they're not doing anything. So the inquiry went literally nowhere until 2015, so a year later. And this is when the statute of limitations on any of those potential charges was really due to run out. Like it was close. And part of the problem was being able to prove that Dunch's actions were willful as defined by Texas law. Like he meant to do this. After interviewing dozens of Dunch's patients and their survivors, prosecutors concluded that Dunch's actions were indeed criminal and nothing short of imprisonment would prevent him from practicing medicine again. So as part of their investigation, prosecutors actually obtained a 2011 email in which Dunch boasted that he was, and I quote, he was ready to leave the love and kindness and goodness and patience that I mix with everything else that I am and become a cold-blooded killer. Dunch actually sent that email to someone named Kimberly Morgan. And that was actually Dunch's surgical assistant from August 2011 to March 2012. And she kind of like bumped around from a couple different hospitals with him. And she really witnessed a whole bunch of really awful things. And I actually like get a, I get a good impression from her. I think she was like a little duped by him as well. But he sent that email to her three weeks before he operated on Passmore at Baylor Plano, which was the first of his disasters. So ADA Michelle Shugart, she's leading the prosecution of Dunch. She later recalled that Henderson, Kirby, and Lazar, this other surgeon, actually reached out to her demanding to testify against Dunch, which was incredibly shocking to her and her office because it's just incredibly rare that doctors ever testify against each other. And I found that point really interesting is they really like usually band together and they just morally could not do that for this guy. Like they were like, we have to take him down. So Shugard and other members of the trial team recalled that their superiors were really skeptical when they presented the case, but eventually found themselves just massively overwhelmed in disbelief that a surgeon could do what Dunch was accused of doing. And as the trial team put in the scary pattern of Dunch's actions, it became apparent to others in the office, like he had to go on to trial. So finally, this led the DA to give the green light to take the case to a grand jury. In July of 2015, approximately a year and a half after his license was revoked, Dunch was arrested in Dallas and charged with six felony counts of aggravated assault with a deadly weapon, five counts of aggravated assault causing bodily injury, and one count of injury to an elderly person. The indictments were made four months before the statute of limitations were actually about to run out. Now, the last charge was for maiming and paralyzing Mary Elford. Prosecutors put a high priority on that charge as it provided the widest sentencing range, and this is actually the one that Dunch could get life in prison for if he was convicted. They also believed that their charge would be the easiest to prove in court, as Dunch had been told repeatedly that he was placing the hardware in the incorrect position, and fluoroscopy images from Efford's surgery proved this. So prosecutors sought a sentence long enough to ensure that Dunch would never be able to practice medicine again. And for the same reason, prosecutors opted to try Dunch for efforts maiming first. So 
They're trying for the Mary Efford elder abuse maiming because this is the easiest charge with the longest sentencing range. Okay, good. We're up to speed. (laughs) So he was held in Dallas County Jail for almost two years until the case went to trial in 2017. By this time, he was almost penniless, and the judge actually had to appoint a lawyer for him, which is fine. It's just, you know, he's very boastful about his finances and things like that, and he just obviously wasn't doing very well at this time. So the ADA, Shuggert, argued that Dunge should have known that he was likely to hurt others unless he changed his approach, and that his failure to learn from his past mistakes demonstrated that his maiming of Mary Efford was intentional. Prosecutors also failed Dunch's employers for not reporting him and argued that Dunch was motivated to continue operating because of the lucrative salary of a neurosurgeon that would obviously solve his mounting financial issues. So over objections from Dunch's lawyers, prosecutors called many of Dunch's other patients to the stand in order to prove his actions were intentional. According to his lawyers, Dunch had not realized how poorly he had performed as a surgeon until he heard the prosecution experts tell the jury about his many blunders on the operating table. Like, how can you be, like, that delusional, though? Like, you're joking, right? Dunch's defense blamed their client's actions on poor training and lack of oversight by the hospitals. That was basically his only defense, which, like, boo... Shuggert countered with the 2011 email sent after his first surgeries were wrong, proving that Dunch knew that his actions were obviously intentional. So the trial lasted 13 days, and the jury only needed four hours to convict him of maiming effort. On February 20th, 2017, he was sentenced to life in prison. On December 10th, 2018, the Texas Court of Appeals affirmed Dunch's conviction by a two-to-one split decision, And on May 2019, the Texas Court of Criminal Appeals refused Dunch's petition for discretionary review. The four hospitals that employ Dunch all have ongoing civil cases against them. And Dunch is currently being housed at the OB Ellis unit outside Huntsville, Texas. And he will not be eligible for parole in 2045. And he will be 74. Out of 35 of his surgeries, he maimed 33 people and killed two. And later, people have passed away due to the complications of those surgeries. So, you know, that ratio is obviously a little bit different. But, you know, I do highly recommend if you're into the kind of dramatic kind of shows, I really, really did enjoy the Dr. Death show. It's on Showcase. I watched it on Prime, but, you know, I, you can download it or whatever. But I really liked it. And, I definitely want to give a listen to the podcast. I really should have had the time to do that, you would think, but I just really wanted to do my own research first, you know, and really give the credit to them and not really, you know, use their material. So I really wanted to get my own. But yeah, I definitely will be checking that out. And, you know, you could, they, you can dive into his personal life. That was obviously a wreck. Based on his professional life, I think we can all take a gander on how his personal life was. But yeah, he definitely should have never operated. The system failed so many times and all these people are injured or dead or their like quality of life sucks. And I just I'm absolutely in disbelief that 
he was able to operate for so long. Like, I can't believe that that happened. I'm, it's like shocking. After I watched this show, I literally could not stop researching and watching videos and talking about it. It's just crazy. Uh, the, you think that there would be so many solid processes to help you and interesting to know if, you know, there's not really any talk about these people going to social media and talking about this situation or this, you know, one of the surgeries that fails going on social media and talking about it. There's nothing really mentioned like that. And I feel like if something like this happened now, you know, it would just be all over the social media and everyone would kind of know about it. And, you know, I didn't hear about any of this in 2013 and what was going on. So yeah, I just, yeah, I'm still in disbelief and I feel very, very awful for all the victims. You're supposed to trust the doctors. You're supposed to trust the hospitals and nurses and, you know, the entire industry, it's supposed to be trustworthy. So yeah, it's scary to think that there are surgeons out there that might not be properly trained. And, you know, it, it does really seem like Texas has put some different processes in place since then and are really trying to tighten it up. And, you know, those hospitals are really regretting their decisions now. Look at all, they're forking out money, 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 money to people who totally deserve it. There should be completely retribution for the people that he has injured. And obviously money will never give back what they've lost or, you know, take away the pain that they may have now. But, you know, some it's something, something. And, you know, it sucks. I just have no other words for it. So, but yeah, thank you so much for listening to today's podcast. This is another solo one and I really hoped everyone liked it. And I will definitely be coming out with a podcast in two more weeks back to my regular programming. And if you want to keep up with the podcast, we do have an Instagram page that's Murder Sandwich Podcast. Go and give that a follow. And yeah, my name is Vicki James and this is Murder Sandwich, a true crime and mystery podcast. And I will see you next time. Bye.